less than 1% of U.S. housing is accessible as it is. So just about every home has some steps to get into it. It could be a ranch with no steps inside, but for some reason, there's going to be two steps to enter with no handrails. Welcome to Now or Never, long-term care strategy with Costa Yepa Fonsif, a podcast for all those seeking answers and solutions in the long-term care space. This podcast is designed to create resources, start conversations, and bring awareness to the industry that will inevitably impact all Americans. Here's your host, Costa Yepa Fonsif. Hey, y'all, it's Costa. Today, I'm here with my guest, Gretchen Kingma, occupational therapist, realtor, and founder of Empowered Homes and Custom Joy. Throughout her career, Gretchen has dedicated herself to improving aging in place services, creating intentional home modifications, and facilitating community transitions that assist older adults and persons with disabilities in making spaces that fit their needs while promoting independence, comfort, and personal choice. Gretchen, I want to start this episode with a discussion about universal design. Because it might not be something our audience is familiar with, but it is incredibly important as we age and have different mobility levels. So what is universal design? Great question. And thank you so much for having me. Universal design is the design of spaces and or products to be useful to all people across the entire lifespan, no matter their age, ability, or disability. So I like to say that accessibility is a byproduct of disability, whereas universal design is a proactive planning that makes a space or a product functional for for people of all types. Fascinating. So does universal design apply to things like furniture? Like it's not just like, you know, a changing a bathtub to a shower, right? There's all these like different components. So give us an example of if I was somebody that was wanting to make a commitment to universal design with regards to furniture, what would I what would I think about? What would I think about buying? Yeah, great question. Universal design does apply to both spaces and products. So furniture, definitely. Um, so an example would be a lot of modern design. So if you're into the super traditional Pottery Barn-esque look, you might need to be a little more selective. Okay. However, shout out to Pottery Barn, and I do not make commissions from them. <laughs> they just came out with a universal design line wow. last fall. So you can get on their website, Google I forget the name of it, but if you look up Universal Design Pottery Barn, you'll see some Mm -hmm. great examples. But some things to look for are for a chair, for example, something that has armrests, something that doesn't swivel like what I'm sitting in, because that could be a huge fall risk. It takes a lot of core strength and and leg strength and coordination to get up from. So something that is um, sturdy, has arm fixed armrest, and you don't have to have a cardboard chair. You can still have comfort, but as long as it's at a, a good height, something where your knees are at a 90 degree angle or greater, not where your knees are up at your chest when you're sitting down. Those things are things to look at um, in universal design. Fascinating. Now, you started Empowered Homes after seeing patients trying to return home after treatments and therapies as their occupational therapist. Unfortunately, many weren't able to live independently or tried and ended up back in the hospital. What normally causes this injury treatment injury loop? Yeah, well, (laughs) 
So you you hit the nail on the head. As an OT, I would constantly see repeat offenders. We right. kind of use that as a joke, uh, but it was true. We we would send people home. Their their documentation said independent. They can do this task, and then they would fall and break their other hip, or they mm-hmm. would be compensating for an injury that they went home for and then hurt themselves in some other way. And I found my my clinical experience and opinion showed that 90% of the time it was the environment. So in OT, nerd language, we have a model called the PEO model. So okay. person, occupation, and then environment or person, environment, occupation. And if the person and what they are doing, their occupations are are great, but the environment doesn't doesn't allow them to do so, they're they're set up for failure. So I found these people's homes were not set up for them and we didn't have time to educate them or point them to the resources. We would have 30 minutes. Okay, here's your 10-page report on all the things you need to change about your home. Good luck. And so that's why that's why the loop continued uh, because they were just set up for failure because uh, a statistic that is mind-blowing is less than 1% of U.S. housing is accessible as it is. So wow. just every home has some steps to get into it. It could be a ranch with no steps inside, but for some reason, there's going to be two steps to enter with no handrails. So an example of how the environment mm-hmm. is set up to, to fail you. Let's get a little technical. So when you talk about the injury treatment injury loop, okay, what happens to your body when you suffer that first injury? And I I am curious, is some of it psychological? And, you know, like, I'll never forget this. When I was a little kid, I broke my arm and uh, I, I hit, I was on roller skates and I hit this parked car (laughs) going very fast down a hill. And I remember I got up and I tried to lift my arm up and I couldn't. Um, And there was just this, it was obviously painful, physically painful, but also um, psychologically, I was like, there's something wrong with me and I have to like overcompensate or it just, it sort of changed the way that I approach practically everything. So when somebody does suffer one of those injuries and you've worked with them in treatment, What's what should people expect when they get back to the get back home? Yeah, that that's a really great point. And another reason why I am so passionate about the work that I do, because we do look at the whole person and and you have to, because whether it's an injury like roller skating and running mm-hmm. into a car, which sounds very epic, <laughs> yeah. um, or if it's a diagnosis or a bad prognosis, <clears throat> cancer. Um, yeah. Parkinson's, a degenerative disease Good point. where your body is going to, or aging. We're all, we are literally all aging every single day, every minute. And mm-hmm. we know that we're not getting any stronger once you hit, I think it's 30, your muscles start to atrophy. Um, so there's definitely an emotional component to not being able to do the things that you were once able to do, whether it was yesterday, five years ago, 10 years ago. That takes a toll on us emotionally. And so if if you're back home, that this is kind of cheesy, but my husband and I had a premarital counselor that said, home is the place that you hear the voice that calls you beloved. Just meaning that 
Home is your safe place, your sanctuary. Mm -hmm. If you go home and you don't feel wrapped in a big hug because you can no longer get into your shower where you get clean, you can't see your face when you're brushing your teeth or shaving if you're a man um, because you're in a seated position. Like those things are going to take a toll on you and home is not going to feel like a place where you are beloved. It's going to feel like a a place where you're trapped in a place where you are failing constantly. So Mm -hmm. it is very important to to think about and plan for the whole person, that emotional component and how it's going to impact the daily, the daily activities. Yeah. So as an occupational therapist and real estate agent, you see homes in a totally different way than most buyers and sellers. For anyone that's trying to evaluate the accessibility of a home, what should be on their main list of considerations? Yeah, well... Shout out to my business partner, Tiffany, on the Custom Joy side. She leads an inclusive, it's called the Inclusive Design Alliance. And actually in the state of Missouri, we put forth a a set of criteria called UDR, Universal Design Ready, to help buyers understand when they're looking for a home, how to identify something that will be easily modifiable. And this criteria was adopted by the Missouri Governor's Council on Disability. So it's super exciting and we hope to keep moving it forward. But our three criteria, one, that the home has two or less steps to enter. And the reason for that is because it's going to be much much more cost-effective to create a zero-step entry if you only have two steps. If you have three, four, 10, 15, the grade of the lot is not going to allow for an easy modification. The second one is that Um, On the point of entry, so it doesn't have to be a main level if you're in a city that has a walkout basement situation. On a main level of entry, there would be a bedroom, a bathroom, and a kitchen. So somebody could do all of their daily tasks on a level of entry. Now, most of the time that is going to be main level first floor, but again, we didn't exclude walkout basement situations because we want to cast a wide net when looking for these houses. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third is that hallways and doorways would be 32 inches or greater. And if you're building new construction, the gold standard is actually 36 inches. But if you're looking at a 50s ranch like I live in, it's very hard to find something that has greater than 32 inch hallways. So those are our three criteria that that help us find homes for people that can they can live in long term. So the 50s ranch style homes, you know, it's like, I don't know what everybody was thinking back then, but the, you know, the two, especially, so it's 50s to like the 70s, the two tiered um, living rooms, you know, where you have, you have like a step down, sometimes you even have like two or three steps inside the house. (laughs) And so we do some modifications uh, within our organization and obviously ADA code is, um, it's one foot for every inch of rise. So like when you're talking about two steps, a step is usually about six inches you mm-hmm. know, in, mm-hmm. in height. And so you're talking about a six foot ramp for every single six foot of ramp for every single step. Sometimes hmm. we'll get to homes and you're absolutely right. There's these massive grades and there's like, you know, 10 or 12 steps And we're like, well, you know, how much do you like your front yard? And they're like, a lot. And we're like, well, it's 
probably not going to be here because we're yeah. going to have to build a hundred foot ramp that goes like this, <laughs> you know, to be able to, to facilitate that zero barrier. So I, I, I totally get it. It's, it's fascinating to me when you said that statistic earlier about 1% of homes are actually meet the criteria for universal design or for um, accessibility. I mean, how daunting is the task ahead of us to modify all of these homes, especially as we become an aging society? It's very daunting. And <laughs> and I know you have, I'm getting ahead of script because we discussed the questions and you had one about new construction. Oh, yeah. More fascinating is that very few builders are adopting universal design concepts in their new construction because it's easier just to do what you've always done. Right. Um, kind of like the assembly line model. Mm -hmm. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, yet the builders locally in, in my state who have adopted some universal floor plans, and that doesn't mean that their whole subdivisions are going to be universally designed homes, but maybe they offer them in their features list so that mm -hmm. the people who are aware and want to plan for their future can build a new construction home with those universal design features. They're, they're doing really well, and these plans are desired, and they're actually selling. Surprise, surprise. Um, so it is very fascinating that it's very slow to catch up, but I will say over the last five years in particular, we have seen a lot of momentum in this area because I think it's one of those, it's a not sexy thing to think about. Wait, sure. you mean you're going to be in a housing crisis where we hear AARP report year over year that seniors want to stay in their community, mm -hmm. but we have less than 1% of homes for those seniors to stay in. So it, it's a scary thing to think about, um, but there is, there is some good forward movement in in the field, which is exciting. Let's dive into the housing and also resource crisis that we're experiencing. We're living in the post-pandemic construction desert, at least where I live in Tennessee. It's almost impossible to find supplies and inventory and even harder to find skilled labor. At what point should you choose downsizing over renovations when it comes to home modifications and accessibility? It depends. And that that's always my favorite answer. It depends, right? You're <laughs> sure. asking a very uh, detailed question, but it depends on the inventory in your local market. Some some hyper-local real estate markets are still seeing less than one month of inventory, meaning if all the homes sell in the next three to four weeks, there'll be no more homes for sale. Sure. However, on the east and west coast and more um, less Midwest and southeast, those markets have a lot more inventory and it has started to shift to be more of a buyer's market. So if there, if there are homes that have those criteria that we talked about previously, where they could be easily modifiable, then that is going to be a better route for you as a consumer to downsize and maybe find something that can be easily modifiable. If you're in a market like where I am, or sounds like Tennessee as well, um, it sounds like new construction might be better because sure. the the inventory is less. But the, the caveat is you have to plan really far in advance. I, I tell my clients all the time that preparedness trumps necessity. So if this is even like a little bit on your mind, you got to get in front of those builders. You got to find a lot three, four, five years before you need the modification. So it's, it's a hard thing because like you said, uh, new construction is at a, 
at an all-time premium high because there is such a lack of it. But the the used, the existing house market, the inventory is still very low as well. So the key word is plan. Exactly. You're, and you're absolutely right. What's fascinating to me about the whole housing industry is, so as I'm driving around metro areas, so like I'll go to Atlanta or I'll go to Nashville, even some of the uh, very close suburbs of those cities, um, there is a lot of like, 55 plus communities and condos that are like, you know, you know, uh, I don't even remember the terminology, but it's something like retirement condos for seniors or something Mm -hmm. like that. So they're builders that are marketing it. What's interesting is the component of, of, of that type of housing in ruler settings. So in small towns, the builders that are building new home construction, in my opinion, are building just like as they're not they're not necessarily trying to target that market. They're just trying to target how do you build the house at the lowest price point possible to be able to meet the demand for affordable housing. Because like in your market, in mine, we also do have we also have one month of inventory. <laughs> That's it, you know. <laughs> and and so there's um it's interesting because how do you solve the issue for kind of like small towns um, and being able to have that new home construction while at the same time, if you want to renovate your existing home, you don't have the level of labor that's necessary to be able to make it affordable for people on a fixed income, especially. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there into the ether. It's out there (laughs) and we're going to move on. Yes. <laughs> in the event someone is deciding to age in place, as AARP reports, 80% of us would prefer to. What do you think is the most overlooked obstacles for mobility? I think that the obvious ones are like we've already discussed steps to enter a home sure. and then steps once you're in a home. So those are not necessarily overlooked. That's what everybody knows that they need, no steps. But the most overlooked, in my opinion, and from a clinical perspective, is lighting and clutter or floor coverings or type of flooring. Flooring is a huge, huge component when you're thinking about universal design. And the reason I the reason I say lighting and flooring is because our eyesight, as I have these massive glasses on, our eyesight and our balance are two things that go really slowly as we age. They're not things that you wake up and you're a huge fall risk. You're just getting your gait and your balance and your strength are getting lesser day by day by day, making the flooring super important. So if you have high pile carpet, you're going to you're going to trip and fall one day. Maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to happen. Um so those are the two and then eyesight if you're rushing to the bathroom late at night, you're likely not turning on the light because you just got to get to to the commode. Sure. And so that's one that I recommend all the time is a motion sensor, super easy modification, just throw a motion sensor switch in your bathroom so that if you're in the bathroom, the lights on so that you're not having to remember all the steps because falls happen when our balance is off. Our balance is off when we can't see. Mm-hmm. You know a lot about what an ideal home for an aging person should look like. Mm-hmm. Personally, what are you looking for in a home as you age? And do you plan to age in place? And if yes, what accommodations will you make? Great 
question. I am a whopping 33 years old <laughs> and I live in one of those 50s ranches and it was a criteria for us to have a zero step entry. So we have a very large sunroom that has double double wide doors, a slider mm-hmm. door sure. that comes right off of our back driveway. And we bought that because I am a nerdy OT that's very passionate, but it's not just about aging. It's also about visitability and being able to have your family members over. Um, I have, I had a father who passed away last, about a year ago now um, of stage four cancer, and he was only 57. And mm. so it was so important. We actually bought the house and then he was diagnosed maybe five months later. And so I was super satisfied in my nerdiness and being an OT, OT realtor, um, because my dad was able to come visit our house very easily and and very freely, even as he got very ill and, Mm -hmm. and, um, his balance was super poor. So those are things that I'm looking at. Yes, I do plan to age in place just from a, um, nerdy real estate investment. I am super interested in the residential assisted living um, fad, I guess sure. you would call it, trend that's happening right now. Yep. Um, because I do think that, again, home is the place where we feel most beloved. And so anything that we can do to our homes that will allow us to stay plugged into the communities that we love long term, I'm going to do it. I love that. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about empowered homes and custom joy. You operate locally in in the St. Louis, Missouri area, but with virtual consultations and education, you're helping families across the country. Will you tell us a bit more about how we can work with you? Yeah, so two ways. One on the real estate side, if you're working with a realtor in your market to find a home that you can age in place, or if you have a child that has disabilities, you can Um, find a home that works for them, we offer what's called the empowered home search. It is not moving your realtor out of the way. It's becoming a part of the team and collaborating with the realtor, doing a one-on-one interview with you as the client, and then helping your agent, your realtor, find that home quicker through our healthcare lens. So mm-hmm. we we will look at all the homes before you waste time going out and seeing them. Um, we'll do virtual tours with your agent so that they can provide you only options that are going to be a good fit. And you don't have to go through the awkwardness of explaining your needs um, that a normal realtor might not understand because they don't have healthcare background. So that's the empowered home search. And on the custom joy side, Tiffany, my business partner, is she's the OT designer. I'm more the real estate side. She is the she wears the design hat, but she'll do virtual consults. We've had clients in Manhattan who are looking to make a super small um, loft accessible um, for Parkinson's all the way to custom home build in Ohio for a family of six children. We have a new build in North Carolina happening. So we can consult virtually um, on accessibility, whether it's new construction, home modification, and that's just through um, obviously FaceTime or Zoom. You have to be well-versed in one of those things, but it's the, the typical occupational therapy process where we hear your needs, your desires, your wants, and then guide you through that process. We can put your dream team together by interviewing people in your market to ensure that they too understand universal design and aren't just going to Google some shoddy, um, you know, solution that might not be a true solution. It is fascinating 
how what what type of businesses people come up with and uh, and I, I am i am just curious before we finish like how did you come up with this idea to mix the the ot and real estate and also i'd like to know how long the business has been around and also like what your prospectus is for the future do you think that there's it's just going to continuously grow in demand Great question <laughs> and feels a little uh, like a hot seat. Uh, you, you had the question earlier in the interview and truly I, I stumbled into real estate because I saw a problem. Mm-hmm. I did not understand why I was working at the most premier senior living community in town. Um, it obviously had Medicare A rehab beds, but it also had assisted living, memory care, and independent living. And it blew my mind that these families were paying a large part of their estate to move their their loved ones in, but that they kept falling or yeah. that they they kept having subpar care from a nursing perspective. Mm-hmm. And it it I went on maternity leave to have my first child. She is now six and a half told my husband, well, first I told my rehab director, I'll be back in 12 weeks. And I told my husband who is an MBA and very business minded. So I have that at home. I went home and said, I'm never going back there. And we only have 12 weeks to figure it out. (laughs) And how, how can, if my job, if I got this degree in occupational therapy and my job is to keep people happy, healthy, and thriving at home, why are we not looking at the home with a more proactive lens? And that's how I got into real estate. So it was very much so like, this is maddening. I see, I I like to use the analogy of a river. If you are cleaning a stream and you're just taking trash out at the bottom of the stream, but you don't go up river to remove the trash source, you're never going to solve the problem. So I, I, got out of clinical OT to hopefully try to educate the masses and serve people upstream so that we don't have to keep pulling trash out of the river. We always like to end the show with a call to action. For homeowners of all ages, what steps can we take today to ensure that our home is accessible and safe for as long as we want to live there? For very simple, very simple task for all ages, whether you are 33 and have two little ones at home, or if you're 103 and still thriving at home, my number one piece of advice is to have a place for everything. So remove clutter, make sure that you don't have throw rugs that cause falls, and then have a place for everything. So if you take the the TV remote to turn the, the volume up, put it back in its place. Have a parking place for everything because it simplifies life. And as your memory fades, which mine is at 33, it's not just an older adult thing. Um, it will help with remembering where everything goes. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Now or Never, Long-Term Care Strategy with Costa Yepafonsif. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Today's episode was written and produced by Morgan Franklin, production assistance by Mike Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsif.com.